Welcome to Free Church. Welcome all of you to this space and to what I have been feeling is the presence of the Lord is very real um, and very powerful and very cognizant today. Um, I have to admit to being somewhat sobered throughout this week as I've been reflecting on uh, the word that we're going to be looking at uh, because it, it is a serious topic, um, but it's also very, very applicable to our lives and more importantly, to our worship. Just as Anthony was talking about, one of the ways that we get filled back up is by experiencing the presence of God. And the key way that we experience the presence of God is in worship. So that's really what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be concentrating on today. So we've been in this Exodus journey, and we'll, as Anthony said, we'll be continuing for the next several weeks through uh, in, into the summer on a variety of these topics. Now, Anthony last week brought us right up to the end of the book of Exodus, but the Exodus journey continues through the other books of the Torah, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as the people of God are traveling, making their way through the desert into the promised land that he has given them. So we'll be jumping particularly into Leviticus today and taking a look at some of the law that is being given to the people. So you can think of Leviticus as a retelling of a number of the episodes and incidents and narrative of what's going on in the book of Exodus, but with a lot more detail added, especially in terms of giving the law. So Exodus talks about Moses receiving the law and the giving of the law um, from God, and then Leviticus and Numbers really get into a lot of the specific detail of what that law looks like in terms of ceremonial law, societal law, other aspects of what God has called his people to do, and that is really outlined in a lot of detail in the book of Leviticus specifically. Anthony also, last week, introduced the concept of the map, and we're going to be, just as the people of God are following his literal presence, fire by night, and a pillar of cloud in the daytime. Just as they're following God through the desert, they didn't need a map because they were following his actual presence. But we're introduced to a map throughout these next, next few weeks because we need a guide into the presence of God. And sometimes just coming to church is not enough. Sometimes our, our individual prayer is not enough. We have to really be purposeful about experiencing the presence of God and experiencing his nearness and, more importantly, recognizing his holiness. And that is what the Old Testament really, really emphasizes and what the Old Testament law really emphasizes is the holiness of the presence of God. And that's what I want to invite you to experience with me today as we're looking into the map. We'll look specifically at a map of worship now, we saw that the law was given, the instructions for the tabernacle were given, and every time the people stopped, they would set up the tabernacle. It was designed to be taken down, designed to be mobile, but they would set up the tabernacle. Sometimes they would stay for weeks or months at a time before they would move on, and they would enact the worship of God that he had called them to through particularly the ceremonial law and the sacrificial law. Um, that is detailed very much in the early chapters of the book of Leviticus. So, again, remembering that the ceremonial law reflects 
God's holiness. And it emphasizes the holiness that the people have to enact upon themselves through a variety of ritual that allows them to experience the presence of God. You see, God's holiness cannot come into contact with unholiness. God's holiness is totally separate from anything involving sin or involving our inability to meet God's holiness. So that is really the purpose of the ceremonial law that we're looking at in the detail in Leviticus is that the people have to go through steps to purge themselves of sin and to accept God's atonement for their sin and grace and put themselves in a position of being able to come into the holiness and the presence of God. So with that, let's jump into, we have a number of scriptures that we'll be looking at today. Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 1. Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 1. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. So that is what all of this preparation is for, is to invite the Lord's presence, because today the Lord will appear to you. So first, before the people could worship, the priest had to go through a number of steps and ritual to purify themselves to be in the holy presence of God because they're the ones that are actually going through the act of sacrifice and the, the lamb and the ram and the ox and all of the steps that um, God outlines. And in fact, that, that's what the previous chapters, Leviticus 1 through 8, um, are really talking about in very great detail is this sacrificial law. So, the priest had to be consecrated first before they're able to come into God's presence, before they're able to lead the people into God's presence and to experience his holiness. So to do that, three things have to be enacted for the priests and for the people. First is atonement for sin. And we see that sacrifice is made for the atonement for sin. And Anthony last week talked about this. A few weeks ago, I talked about it when we were talking about uh, the preparations for the tabernacle. And that is the priests have to offer an offering for their own sin. So they have to be covered and consecrated before God. Then they're able to do the same thing for the larger corporate body. That is offer sacrifices for the people's atonement as well. But it starts with the priests. The second thing that has to be enacted to experience the presence of God is an offering for peace. And I love this because we can accept the atonement the covering of our sin, and not necessarily be at peace with God. Because there is a lot of things in our lives that keep us from being at peace with God, that keep us from experiencing the beauty and the glory and the holiness of his presence. So they make an offering for peace to bring the, their hearts and the people's hearts into right standing before God to experience his presence. And then thirdly, there's an offering for the presence. And this is a recognition of the holiness of God and the very serious nature 
that it is to come before the holy God. And this is what I want us to think about, particularly today, is that often we can just go to church, we can live our lives, we can go to work, we can do our thing, we can listen to, you know, K-Love when we're driving, um, and we can sort of, in going through those motions, we can think that we are experiencing the presence of God. But sometimes you have to be more purposeful about it, and where that purpose starts is with our hearts. Our hearts have to be brought into recognition of God's holiness. We have to be aware of what is, might be holding us back from really experiencing God's presence in that way. So just as the people of Israel did. So next section in verse 5 of Leviticus 9. So they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So they're going, they're following the directions of coming into the presence of God and making those offerings and accepting the atonement for sin and being purposeful about recognizing the holiness and the presence of God. And Aaron follows the steps, and his sons are fellow priests with him, and they are following the directions that God has outlined for true and proper worship in this particular context. And it works. It's a good thing. God's presence shows up very tangibly so that the people can understand that he is really there, right there with them. And the chapter concludes in verse 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went in to the tent of meeting. So remember the way the tabernacle is laid out. There's a small space in the very center. That's the holiest place where God's presence actually came and sat on the, um, the Ark of the Covenant. And then there was a larger space. That's called the Tent of Meeting. And that's where they're going through um, most of this ritual. Like the big animals had to be sacrificed on a big altar that was like out in the, out in like the foyer area. Um, but they're in like the, the medium space. Not the holiest space, but the Tent of Meeting is like the little bit larger space. So that's where they're at. And the people are like, you know, there's probably millions of them. We don't know the exact number, but imagine five million people are standing around watching all of this happen. So Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed all the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They shouted and fell on their faces. So I'm not saying that in our corporate worship here at Free Church that we should expect fire to come out and obliterate everything, but what that is is a recognition of God accepts the sacrifice, God accepts the worship, and his very presence is so powerful and so tangible that fire comes out and devours everything that's left all the sacrifices and all the burnt offerings that the people had made. And they clearly recognize the presence of God. Who could avoid recognizing the presence of God in that situation when the fire comes out and just destroys everything? And the people 
are worshiping, they fall on their face, the presence of God is in the house, and then something goes wrong. Something goes bad wrong. And we don't know exactly what it is because it's just not clearly defined for us in the scriptures. But we turn the page to verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, so remember they're priests as well that are ministering before the Lord, they each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. And again, fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron has to just accept it. Aaron just has to shut his mouth and go on with it. And we don't know exactly what is happening in this particular context. Some other versions say um, strange fire, uh, illegitimate fire, or in this case, the NS, uh, ESV says unauthorized fire. But the important thing is the second phrase there is that which he had not commanded them. So up to this point, everything is going well. Everything is going the way that it's supposed to in the system of worship that God has enacted because they're following the directions. They're very clearly following exactly the steps that God has laid out for them up until suddenly a certain point. And Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they go off script. They do their own thing. And in doing so, they violated true worship. They violated their own ritual of consecration that had placed them in right standing before the holiness of God. And God says, he's very serious about this, especially in the Old Testament we see, if you could think of one overarching theme that is told to us throughout the entire Old Testament, it is an emphasis on the holiness of God. And God takes it very seriously to the point where he says, I can't have those consecrated priests misleading the people into false worship by not following the directions that I gave them. And he takes care of it right then and there. Now, that's a very serious thing. And I'm not saying, again, that fire is going to consume everything when you're at church. I'm not saying that we're in danger of being killed on the spot by offering false worship. What I am saying is that God takes it seriously. God takes your heart seriously and your worship seriously and his holiness seriously. And he says the important thing about this is that they did something that I told them not to do or they did something that I didn't tell them to do. And in so doing, they took the glory of that act from God. And he says, no, in front of all the people, I will be glorified. That needs to be our heart that needs to be our purpose when it comes to worship is the glory of God and experiencing his love and experiencing fellowship and experiencing communion are all aspects of that. But it starts with our heart in recognizing the holiness of God and that what we do in worship is to bring him glory. 
So you might ask, what's the point? Why do we talk about all these Old Testament laws and rituals and sacrificial worship? None of that stuff applies anymore. That's not our culture. That's not how we live. That's not a requirement anymore. And you're, you're correct, except that the principles that are involved are still at play, are still at stake, and God takes them very seriously. So remember that three things had to be enacted for the people to come into the presence of God, for the people and for the priest to offer true worship. First, atonement for sin had to be made. Second, the peace offering had to be made that puts our hearts in right standing with God. And then third, the recognition of the presence or the recognition of the holiness of God. And today, as Anthony so well spoke last week, the atonement has already been enacted for us by the work of Jesus Christ in his life and in his death and resurrection. So the atonement is taken care of. The peace offering has been taken care of because the Holy Spirit now lives with you in your heart. His presence, God's presence, goes with us every day. That aligns our hearts at peace with God. So the peace offering has been taken care of in that way. But a lot of times, we forget about the recognition of the holiness and the presence. And that's where sometimes we take going to church and going through the motions of being a Christ follower, we take it maybe for granted. And that's just what I want to emphasize is the seriousness of that. And it comes down to true worship. So what we'll do is we'll jump now from Old Testament sacrificial ceremonial law in Leviticus. We'll look at three examples of how instructions are given us to worship for the New Testament church. And those are where the principles that are still in play for our lives that mirror the concepts that were in place enacted differently through the ceremonial and sacrificial law for the people of Israel. So in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, the context of this whole passage is on anger and on offense. And Christ tells us we cannot worship properly if we have anger or we have offense. And he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and give your gift. So there might be a time when it would actually be better for you maybe not to come to church or maybe not to engage in an act of worship because you have something that you need to take care of with somebody else. And again, that's in the context of anger or offense, but if you have an, an offense that's just building up anger and bitterness against somebody in your heart, it's better to take care of that first. And when Christ says your brother, we could interpret that as anyone in our lives, your mother, your son, your boss, your coworker. Is there something that you need to fix in your relationship with that person before you can come before the presence of God and offer him true worship? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this whole chapter, Paul is talking about proper worship and improper worship. And he says there's lots of ways that you can do church. He doesn't say that specifically. That's the new Amerson translation. Um, but there's lots of ways that you could do church. There's lots of ways that you can worship. And it could look like an individual word, a song, a prayer, the fellowship time that we spend 
talking to each other, caring for each other. All of those are ways that we can experience worship and proper ways that we can experience God's presence and his holiness in our lives. So some of it is in a corporate setting. Some of it is more individual. And that's what this whole chapter is about. Um, I'll skip to verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So he says all of those things are good, whether it's the spoken word, whether it's a prayer. There's a lot in this chapter about speaking in tongues, about how that needs to be done the right way for building up each other in our relationship with God, building up our faith, and ultimately bringing the glory to God, remembering that that is the key to worship, is bringing the holiness and the glory to God because he will be glorified in our worship. Um, But everything needs to be done for building up, for caring for others, for building each other's faith, building each other's relationship with God. That's the point on the purpose. And it might look in a variety of different ways. And if any of you guys have been to more than one church in your life, you know that worship looks in a variety of different ways. Different churches and different organizations and bodies worship in different ways. And Paul says, those are good. Those are good. Just make sure that the important purpose is that we're not distracting from God's glory and we're building each other up. So then skipping to the end of this chapter. Again, throughout the the theme has been on on prophesying, on speaking in tongues, on interpretation of tongues. And that's not uh, the specific focus of what we're talking about today. But at the end, verse 39, he says, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And the important takeaway from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is don't allow the way you worship to be a distraction to someone else. Don't distract from God's glory because he must receive the glory. His holiness and his presence must be the purposeful reminder of all of us in every act of worship. Don't distract from God's glory. And then finally, one more instruction also from the New Testament. And that has to do with what we might call the table of the Lord or communion or the Lord's Supper. Um, a reverential sacrament, a reminder of Jesus' work and of his presence in our lives. So again, Paul, speaking to the Corinthians in chapter 11 and verse 20, says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, somebody else drinks it all. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So Paul here is speaking very seriously about people who are improperly taking the Lord's Supper in a a communal setting like this. They're distracting from God's glory. They're distracting from God's holiness. And they're not doing things like he talks about in 14 for building up and for edifying the body because they're going about it the wrong way. So Paul says, should I commend you? Should I say, yeah, good job. He says, no way, no way. Your worship has to be done 
in a manner that brings God the glory. You cannot be a distraction to your fellow. So he goes on, because the Lord's Supper is taken as a remembrance, as a reminder of Christ's work and of his presence in the church. So he clarifies and gives instructions at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. We saw some of that judgment in the Old Testament, right? That judgment from God can still exist if we're, if we're worshiping in a way that is not bringing him the glory. And even the taking of communion can be done. You think, that's such a reverential act, that act of remembrance. How can we do that in a wrong way? It has to do with our hearts. If our hearts are not right in that act of worship, we're doing it the wrong way. That's the bottom line. And Further, just a reminder, is that despite the fact that the physical sacrifice of animals is not a requirement for our worship anymore, and it's not, but sacrifice is still required. And the sacrifice is of yourself, of myself. When we come to worship, we have to take ourselves out of the picture. God has to be the one on the throne, the throne of our hearts, and just like Nadab and Abihu enacted their own will. They did what they wanted to in that situation, and it was the wrong thing to do. We have to give up our will to truly serve God and to truly worship God and be filled with his presence, which, as Anthony says, is how we're enacted and enabled to fill others. We have to be filled with his presence, but we have to do it the right way. Paul in Romans chapter 12 And verse 1 lays this out very clearly for us. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He boils it all down in one act, and that is the act of giving up ourselves, giving up our will, giving up our wants and desires to the goal and the glory of the Father. That is our spiritual worship. And again, he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, right? Those animals in the Old Testament were representative of this act. And now the death of the animal sacrifice is no longer required because God wants us living for him. God wants us living and breathing and acting for him in this world. And that's what the church is called to do. That's what our worship is called to do, is to fill us up with God's presence so that we can bring his presence to the workplace and to the park and to school and to wherever it is that we go in our daily lives. People should recognize the presence of the Lord because the sacrifice has been made, and that's of putting ourselves to the back putting God's presence to the front and bringing the glory to him and to his holiness and to his presence. 
So as the worship band returns, leads us in a final song, a final act of worship in that way, I want to do something uh, that we don't emphasize a lot necessarily here at Free Church, um, and that is each one of you underneath your chair should have a small uh, wafer and a small drink for uh, the taking of communion, for the taking of the Lord's Supper. I just like that you take this, hold it in your hand. I'm not going to formalize this. I'm not going to give you instructions. What I want is for each of you to worship in the way that your heart needs to be in alignment with God, recognizing his holiness, giving up what you need to in your life, in your thought life, in your heart. And we'll go to the Lord's Supper and we'll go to communion as they begin to lead us in the final song. But what I want you to think about is we talked about the sacrifice of our will, and that's important for all of us because the basic human shortcoming, the basic human sin is our selfishness. That's what gets in the way of our worship so often. But is there anything else that you need to think about in your life that needs to be made right? Just as Christ himself said, it's better to not go through the act of worship and to go take care of the thing that you need to take care of, then come back and you're in right relationship, you're in right standing with God the Father, then go through the act of worship. So before we do this final act of worship today, think about what is it in your life that needs to be brought into right relationship and right standing with God. Do you need to give something up? Do you need to make peace with someone? Do you need to release an offense that you may have had? Maybe that person's not even alive anymore. Maybe it's a family member, but you've been holding on to this. Those things drag us down. Those things cause us to not be able to experience the presence of God in the way that he wants us to. So as we go to this final act of worship and taking the Lord's Supper, just think about those things on your own. Eat and drink the little communion wafer on your own at the time that you feel is appropriate during this last song. What do you need to give up? What sacrifice needs to be made in your life? Is it lust? Is it gossip? Is it is there some form of greed or selfishness in your life? These are all things that inhibit our relationship with God. Just think about those things in your life. Bring them before God the Father. There might be a purposeful step that you need to make in your life, whether it's in relationship, conversation, whatever the case might be. Or it might be something that you just need to have a quiet conversation with the Lord and say, God, I want to be free of this particular aspect of my life, whatever the case that might be. And just as we all must sacrifice our own will to that of the Father, if we are to be in communion with him, before you take communion, take that act of sacrificing your will your choices and my wants and my desires to the glory of God the Father. Because remember, at the end of the day, in light and in view of all the peoples of the world, he will be glorified. <laughs>